0: Hello and welcome to the Superposition Guys podcast. My name is Yuval and my guest today is Rami Shelbaya, co-founder and CEO of Quantum Dice. Rami and I discuss their encryption key generation approach using quantum technology, randomness self-verification, how their technology interfaces with cybersecurity products, the potential for keys on the cloud, and much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, Rami, and thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, about it's, uh, it's, it's an honor to be on, on this program. The honor is mine. So, who are you and what do you do?
1: So, I am the uh, co founder and CEO of Quantum Dice. Uh, we are an Oxford University spin out that is working to secure a connected future by enabling trusted encryption with some of that. Automatic that uh, can give you an incredibly unique advantage in the way in the way that you create your encryption keys.
0: Let's start from the beginning. Why do people need an encryption key, and what's wrong about current encryption keys? That,
1: that, okay, let's let, let's start at that point. So, so basically, uh, when we think about cybersecurity, we our mind usually goes to the things that we deal with on a day to day basis, and those are usually things like firewalls antivirus software. Maybe you've seen like a cyber, like a full cybersecurity systems that be are working more on the IT end of things. But in reality, those are just like the top level layers. As much uh, in any field of computing, there's a lot of infrastructure behind this. And there's a lot of enabling components. And really the unsung hero in all of this is the encryption key. Basically, every algorithm, encryption algorithm that we have, and I'm talking about encryption algorithms ranging from the Caesar cipher that we came up with thousands of years ago, to the post quantum encryption algorithms that people are working hard to develop today. All of these different algorithms, no matter how simple or complex they get, require an encryption key. And if that encryption key is not good, no matter how good the algorithm is, your system is vulnerable. Now, encryption keys need to be completely random. We kind of see this a little bit when we think about our passwords, when you create a a password for a system: the harder it is for that password to be predicted, the more safe your system is. And you can think of it having the similar idea for encryption keys. The difference is that our computers and our networks need to generate billions of those in a second, and they need to be as random as possible. Now, the problem is it's actually very hard to make something that is random. Uh, it's very hard to generate it, and it's very hard to verify it. And for that reason. There have been many failures in the generation of randomness that have caused vulnerabilities in the cybersecurity systems in which that randomness is being fed. Most recently, actually, uh, Cisco uh, announced in a couple of months ago that one of their firewall systems, the ASA appliance, was, had a vulnerability caused by insufficient randomness. Uh, and this firewall appliance, by the way, is one of the most commonly used firewall systems around the world. Odds are, at this moment, some of your data is being protected behind. It. And to discover this vulnerability, not just once, but twice in the last five years, it has an is- had an issue with this, it just shows how difficult it is, even for the big companies to get this right. And goes to show that randomness, even though it's so fundamental, it's very complex to get correct. How
0: does one verify randomness? Is there a randomness standard? If I came up with a new system for randomness, is there a way to test and make sure that it's good or good enough for for a certain application? Well, if you Google verification of randomness,
1: right, you're going to come up with a number of statistical tests that you can download. They're completely free. Some of them have been developed by one of the biggest organizations on cybersecurity in the world, the National Institute for Standard and Technology in the U.S., Uh, And it's called the standard test suite. And it's basically just a bunch of statistical tests. Uh, And the problem with those is if you just look into documentation of one of those tests, especially the NIST tests, you're going to read that they tell you that you should not use the result of this test to verify that you can use your random number generator in a cryptographic system. And that's because statistical tests are just not efficient. They can be easily fooled. And they don't really tell you anything about the unpredictability of a number. So, for example, if I tell you this sequence, 8, 3, 2, 7, 9, can you predict the next one? It sounds pretty random, but in fact, it's not. It's just a sequence within the number pi. The next digit after this is completely deterministic. Not only can we predict it, we can calculate it. And now, the reason why it's hard for us to understand is, of course, for our our mind, it's difficult to figure something digits, but it's not just us. The number pi can actually fool some statistical test into telling you that this is a completely random sequence when it's not. And the subtle difference between what can appear statistically random and what is truly cryptographically unpredictable is not the same thing. And so just relying on these tests is not enough. And that's why people started looking towards quantum systems.
0: Okay, so if I purchase your system, and hopefully we can learn what it is in a second, how do I know that your system generates truly random numbers? So now, the way to do that is, as
1: opposed to other uh, cryptographic uh, systems that are, sorry, as opposed to other random number generators that are being used in cryptographic systems, you don't need to rely on a test for our system. You don't need to just Look at the statistics of the numbers you can actually examine the specific components in it you can do physical measurement on these systems and we have a perfectly rigorous mathematical model of how and where that randomness is being generated something no other classical system can do now that's because quantum mechanics at its core investigates the random behavior of quantum systems some of the most fundamental equations of quantum mechanics tell you how the unpredictability, how the probabilities inherent to a quantum system are gonna evolve and are going to change in time. So you can use that very same math to prove to yourself, and by like physically measuring the actual components that we're giving you, exactly where that random is coming from and how much of it is being generated. And we put uh, we put our money where our mouth is. We actually gave one of our devices. Few of our devices actually to the national physical laboratory here in the uk as part of the new uh, project that they have been leading over the past couple of years called Accurant, where they took it apart looked at the components measured it looked at the physical model and verified as a third party trusted source that what we are saying is true and what we are generating makes sense now we also have a small twist that not only makes us different than classical systems, but makes us critically more secure than even other quantum systems out there. Uh, Yeah, So basically, that twist is the fact that we have what's called a source device independent self-certification. That's a very big and long sentence filled with scientific jargon. We just like to call it DISC. Now, what this does is rather than just have this a priori physical model of your system, that you're just relying on it behaving this way forever, we realize that physical systems are imperfect. They cannot just operate the way you designed them at the beginning forever, and they will fluctuate either naturally through decay or because of certain environmental disturbances when it gets hotter, when it gets colder, when things vibrate. And we have a secondary measurement that we can relate to the primary one. So the primary one is the measurement of quantum randomness, and the secondary one is what we call the verification measurement. And this, what it does is it basically allows you to do a continuous random evaluation. So, a continuous evaluation of the amount of quantum randomness or entropy that's being generated. And we do this every single time you call a key from our system. So, that means when you request a key, not only is it coming from a quantum source, but we verify that it contains the exact amount of randomness that you need. And this is something. Very few systems out there, even quantum systems, can do. And no system out there can do it with the practicality that our product can provide.
0: And what do I do if the test fails? So you say, well, something is off in the physical system, and now it's not generating numbers that are as random as they did last week. Do I just need to replace the device? Uh, What do I do in that case? That's a very good question, actually, and a question that a lot
1: of customers end up asking us, right? But so what happens is our system isn't just a binary choice. It's not either it works or it doesn't. Like randomness, it's more of a gradient. So what happens is what you're going to see is the amount of randomness per second is going to go down. That's because the amount of randomness that's available goes down. Now, there is, of course, a threshold below which we cannot certify any more randomness, and then you have to replace your system, but it's much better to know that a critical component isn't working than to just have it keep working and producing nonsense. Because at least in that case, you know that you shouldn't use these keys to encrypt anything or else you're going to have weak encryption. So one of the things that actually interested a lot of people, especially people who care about high level security, is that knowledge and confidence and being able to detect when things go wrong. Everything can go wrong. But what our system offers is an ability to detect when it
0: does. You mentioned Cisco a few minutes ago. And let's assume that Cisco said, oh, we got to do something about this. We're going to turn into quantum. We're going to go to quantum dice. How would they use your system? Where does your system fit in, in or near a Cisco router? So
1: basically, inside of those systems, inside of those firewalls, HSMs, or any kind of cybersecurity appliance, it's basically made of a lot of different subcomponents. Currently, one of those subcomponents is a sort of classical hardware uh, source of randomness. Our system is basically going to come in to replace that. Now, at the moment, we basically have two product form factors. We have a 1U server rack-style system that you can connect to easily via Ethernet, And we have a half-length PCIe card that you can insert inside of your servers and inside of your large appliances. Now, as you can tell, both of these systems are relatively bulky, they're not chips, but they can still address the need found in certain low volume, high value applications where size isn't really a problem. However, we're also working on miniaturized versions of our systems because we also have projects uh, addressing satellite communication as well as projects addressing more integrated uh, development. And the idea here is that we're always a component piece. We're always having to hook up with the rest of the cybersecurity infrastructure that you're using. And that interface can depend on what exactly it is you're going. But we always start at the beginning. So it's truly a hardware integration work, with, of course, our proprietary software helping manage that interface.
0: You mentioned disk, sort of the verification algorithm. Are you worried that the generation part is just going to be a commodity that anyone and their brother can go and generate quantum numbers, um, random numbers using quantum systems?
1: So it's actually quite hard to generate uh, randomness for quantum systems. That's because the word quantum system is a sort of a misnomer. There is no quantum system or classical system. There are hardware systems that have certain quantum behavior and certain classical behavior. And the secret sauce for us is how do you extract one from this mix of code? And really, this particular aspect of our device is a patented architecture. So it's not just something that you can take out and slap onto any system and have it work. It's really baked into the architecture itself. The original architecture was designed to allow you to do this. Not every architecture will allow you to do the same. So we have, of course, patent protection here, but it's not just that, right? Because patents have a limited ability to protect your innovation. There's also a lot of know-how on how you get this, these things managing, how you get them working together. And at the end of the day, because it's a piece of infrastructure, because it's a component, one of the biggest things is interoperability, is really the ability of clients to just pick it up the shelf, plug it in and have it work. And that's not easy. All of the little bits and pieces that come into this are really what makes our, uh, makes our product special. It's that element of security, but also the ability to use it in a practical environment. And that's come through hours and hours of hard work from our incredible team uh, that's filled with all different kinds of engineers that are required to really get something like this to perform that meets the market need.
0: In terms of deployment, do you always see it as a local deployment next to the device that you care about? Or do you see it also as potentially a web service where I can just download a whole bunch of uh, random numbers for using keys?
1: So that's a very interesting question. Not the least because it's an open strategy question for us. There's randomness as a service isn't new. So entropy as a service is something that people out there have started thinking about long, there are even companies doing quantum entropy as a service. But there is a sort of fundamental catch 22 when you do something I like this is The reason why you want secure keys is because you want to encrypt insecure communication channels. And if you're going to rely on an insecure communication channel, the internet, to download the keys, then you sort of have a bootstrap problem. How do you secure that initial channel in the first place? Because if that channel is broken, if somebody can see your internet traffic, they can can break all of the keys that are coming through no matter how strong those keys are because they're visible. And so there's a little bit of a, a, of a discussion in the sector about how can you deploy entropy as a service. One of the ways that we've seen this, and one of the actual ways we've done this in projects currently, is as sort of a local service rather than a internet service. So more something that's disseminated over an intranet. So if you have a very large organization deployed over multiple different sites with a secure connection between those sites that is not necessarily exposed to the internet, you can create a sort of service deployment in that case. And that shifts a little bit the business model, changes what the requirements look like. Now, if we want to go over the internet, there are, of course, applications that are not cybersecurity that random numbers uh, can be interesting for. And that's an that's that area where we have a lot of active work at the moment. But in cybersecurity, there's still the question of how do you fix a bootstrap problem? But it is one that we're actively looking at.
0: You've been doing this for a while, so I have two questions related to that. The first one is, how long? And the second is, what have you learned over the last six months that you didn't know before about this field?
1: Yeah, so uh, we have formally spun out the company in April 2020. Not exactly the best time to spin out the company. It was uh, literally a few weeks after the first lockdown in the UK. Uh, But we really started kicking things off when we closed our first round, which is our pre-seed round. Uh, so this what happened in July 2021, and we started to grow the team and develop more technology. Uh, and I think, basically, it's a learning process day by day, not even over the last six months. I mean, things change so quickly uh, that you need to keep up the pace. So to answer your question specifically about how things changed over the last six months, so over the last six months for us, we basically doubled in size as a team. Um, so the company grew considerably. Uh, and we onboarded a lot of different projects. So we have now a lot of different commercial projects. Uh, and I think, I mean, it's a cliche to say it, but it's always true, which is that when you're developing something in-house, it's very different than when you're sending it to someone and, and looking at what their reaction is like. And as opposed to software, there is no easy fix. right? You can't just send a patch if something with the hardware itself is, is problematic. Uh, but at the same time, you want to get things out quickly, so you can't spend too much time analyzing and debugging. Uh, and so, I think what we learned over the past six months is that it's really critical to think of how customers interact with the product and to think about where it's going to sit. So, as you mentioned, like the question where you asked, how is this going to fit in with a, with a firewall system right now? something that's that's important and and really i mean it seems obvious but sometimes we sort of forget it is that every hardware piece has slightly different dimensions now how does something fit and you might think that's a little bit of a silly thing but if it doesn't fit people are just not gonna buy it so so there are so many little details that you need to think about from a from a product perspective and i think a lot of companies focus, especially in the deep tech sector, focus a lot on the exciting technology, but they sort of forget those little boring aspects of the product development that are really critical to having success. Because what you don't want to have is spend six months developing something only to have to redo everything because you figured out that a screw was misaligned. And I think that that's something that we uh, really took to heart as we bring our products more out of the lab and into the consumer's hands.
0: You mentioned commercial projects. Is there any particular project that you can tell me about? What the problem was, what the solution, what the outcome is. So uh, there's
1: one where I can where I can speak uh, in more details because it's, it's something public, uh, which is uh, with a company called Equila, which is a company in the UK that's developing a novel way of doing layer two uh, private networks. So something similar to a VPN, but a lot more secure, a lot more efficient. Uh, and the problem there was how do you secure the connection in a way that's better than what current systems can do. Uh, so, and, and do it in a way that's actually scalable because the way Equila works is that their system can scale to thousands and thousands of users. And so how to manage that throughput, how to manage this connection between these two uh, systems. And so this is work that we did with that company and we did a deployment uh, and they're currently using one of our systems in one of the applications in the UK and we're exploring more how to deploy that application in multiple different uh, in multiple different clients. So, here, this is a situation where something started as a simple project, went into full deployment, and now we have sort of came up with a joint product. Another application where I can't really specify the name, but I can just talk about the generality. So, we're working with a telecommunications operator. And the goal here is to basically, as we were alluding to, how do you create an entropy as a service for an internal organization? And so this was quite challenging because the question is, you want to be able to disseminate keys accurately, securely, and efficiently to lots and lots of users just from one device connected to a hub. Uh, and so this was a challenge that that uh, took some time and took some work between both of our companies, but it was quite successfully achieved and we've managed to feed those keys into the cybersecurity algorithms that were being used. Uh, so this is a showcase of how something as simple as integration can really make or break a project because if we hadn't managed to do this sort of dissemination none of the rest would have followed
0: out of curiosity how many keys can you generate per second
1: so in our fastest device vertex we can do 2.6 gigabits per second which is the fastest system that you can commercially find available now and we're actually pushing the limit uh, on speed by a new device that's currently under development, uh, but we're looking to go significantly faster than that.
0: As we get close to the end of our conversation, I'm curious professionally speaking, what's keeping you up at night? So I think
1: the main thing that uh, I would call the concern, but something that's constantly on my mind is how to make sure that we're sort of responding to what the market needs and what the market is telling us. And I think that's always a challenge, especially when a company has a lot of young engineers that come from more of a research background, is that there's a lot of cool ideas, there's a lot of amazing things to do, but you need to find that fit for it to grow because at the end of the day, we're not a research organization, we're a company. And so the, the challenge is to get all of that market feedback from very different people who all want us to do slightly different things, but we want to be a product. We don't want to be a project company. So to get to that point where we have something that somebody can just go in on a website, buy it, have it delivered, plug it in, and have it work, that's a long way and a long trajectory. And, and that's something that we're focusing a lot on getting right.
0: And finally, a hypothetical. So if you could have dinner with one of the, <clears throat> one of the quantum greats, dead or alive, what would that be?
1: Uh, I would say Schrodinger. So the, the reason for that is that there's a lot of myth-making that happened that, that came around how Schrodinger came up with his famous equation, because it's not really clear how he did it. Uh, and I was just wanting to know. <laughs> I'm very curious on, on the origin of that. Uh, so it's something so fundamental uh, that seemingly came out of nowhere.
0: You should have been quantum mice and not quantum dice. Surrendering here is the. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Anyway, Rami, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You've all a pleasure.